Welcome to the Dover Download Podcast, your weekly look at what's going on in Dover, what's going in in Dover, and all things Dover-related. My name is Chris Parker, and I'm the Deputy City Manager here in Dover, and I'm going to walk you through all of that, plus more. One of the things I've talked about in the past that I really like about Dover is how the community comes together and we actually have community here in Dover. A big part of that is brought to us by the Chamber of Commerce. And today we're going to talk to Margaret Joyce and Hope Anderson from the Chamber about the upcoming Arts Festival and all the other things that the Chamber of Commerce does to help create community here in Dover. Margaret and Hope, welcome. Thank Thank you. you. Great to be here. Great to have you. As I just said, we're looking forward to the Arts Festival. It's an annual tradition here in Dover, and I'm thinking that it starts soon. It does start Mm -hmm. soon. Hope has the lineup. Do you want to uh, run through the the Friday night shows start first, I think, Hope? I'd be happy to. So our first show is July 8th, and that's going to be the Compact Big Band. They're a 19-piece set orchestra band. And the following Friday, July 15th, we have the Low Sugar Kings. They're a reggae-based group. July 22nd, we're going to have a crowd favorite, the Soggy Poe Boys. And that will be the first night of the concert from the Play Patio, brought to you by the Children's Museum of New Hampshire. July 29th, we're going to have country band Whiskey Horse. August 5th, we're going to have the Rockingham Groove, which will also feature a concert from the Play Patio. And our final night, August 12th, we're going to have Studio 2, which is a Beatles tribute band as well as another concert from the play patio. So that's a really great variety. It must be fun, but also frustrating to come come up with a uh, a list of performers that will be both broad, because you want to get a variety of people, but also not necessarily unknowns, because you want to have some repetition to get people to come back. I would say for me, Hope, um, that was the the hardest part was sitting in this year on the band choices. I joked with everybody on the committee, I think I'm the only person in the state of New Hampshire not in a band because (laughs) we had so many submissions. And then to cull that down, uh, like you say, Chris, to have some crowd favorites, but give new acts an opportunity. We try to keep it local regional uh, for the most part, and you you want to draw the crowds. Sponsors like to see that, but give new bands a chance. So I think, Hope, uh, at least three of them are, no, four of them, I think, are new this year. Yeah, we have four new bands this year, and that is the Compact Big Band, Low Sugar Kings, Whiskey Horse, and Studio Two. And then we have two of our favorite returners, Soggy Poe Boys and Rockingham Groove. So for those not aware, if for some reason they haven't been here in the community for that long, Where do the events take place? Where do the the concerts happen and when do they happen? Every Friday night headliner show happens on the Rotary Arts Pavilion in Henry Law Park, 6.30 to 8.30. I noticed you mentioned a couple times the the play studio. Yes. How does that work? Well, that's a new addition this year. We're very excited about it. Um, We're partnering with the Children's Museum of New Hampshire. As you know, they are adjacent to Henry Law Park. And last year, they opened a brand new, beautiful outdoor play patio, and they are going to be offering special nights for three of the shows. They're calling it Concerts from the Patio. They're going to have adult beverages, snack boxes, and a huge feature, indoor restrooms. So that's a draw. Uh, All the money for that benefits the Children's Museum, and you can buy tickets for that. I believe they're $15, and they're available on the Children's Museum website. And they're 
trying it out this year. So they're going to try it at three of the shows and uh, see how the community likes it. So that partnership with the Children's Museum, it led to another new thing this year, right? It sure did. Hope our kickoff event was, I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I thought it was a lot of fun as well. So this year we did a new event, um, a Kochiko Arts Festival kickoff, where we announced the lineup and we thanked festival goers who support us throughout the years. We had buttons for sale there, which are sponsored by Wentworth Douglas Hospital. They're $10 and you can get those at every Friday night headliner show or at the chamber. Um, We had the event catered by Sassy Biscuit and drinks provided by Smut Labs, which are two of our members. Well, that's great because there are also two members that people could go to before or after the shows. I mean, I think that's one of the things that people forget about the arts festival until they're down there is that it's right in the heart of the community. So you can take advantage of all the dining and, and retail before and sometimes after. Uh, the shows, depending on uh, what your mood fancies. That's true. Uh, it is centrally downtown, and there are a lot of restaurants, as you know, that that are on the perimeter there. So we do encourage people to go. Maybe it's going over to Lickies and Chewies and getting an ice cream or going to La Festa and getting some pizza. And we should mention La Festa has been a longtime supporter of the festival. They actually provide the pizza for the bands. Uh, we bring it into the, the green room there at the stage so that the bands can have a little something during uh, refreshment. And then hope we have two partners who are helping us out with button benefits this year. So those people who purchase the buttons, sponsored by Wentworth Douglas Hospital, get the following benefits. So Sassy Biscuit is giving a $1 house mimosa with the purchase of an entree Monday through Friday. You must be 21 years of age to redeem this benefit. And The Strand is giving away a free large popcorn with any paid event ticket. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. It's very generous. And the the buttons, there's a... uh another value to the buttons, right? Yes. So the big grand prize for the buttons will be um, a Weber gas grill. Um, It is a Spirit E330, and that is sponsored by WOKQ 97.5. And that is something that's name is drawn at the end of the series or in the middle? Where is When did that happen? So the winner will be announced um, at our August 12th show, the final of the series, and that is the Studio 2 show. You don't need to be present to win the grill. Um, and if you're local, we will drop it off to you so you don't have to lug it through downtown. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is a benefit, trust me. <laughs> it is a benefit. And one benefit we didn't mention was anybody who does purchase a button, you just show your button at the ticket booth the night of the show. And you get a free bottled water sponsored by Kenny Bunk. Well, that's that's a really fun bonus because you're sitting there and inevitably you've forgotten water or you've <laughs> mm-hmm. forgotten an adult beverage if you're at the play patio. <laughs> uh, that uh, How did that come about? How did the uh, partnership with the chamber and the Children's Museum come through? Well, it was actually, uh, they approached us uh, after they opened the play patio. I think Jane Bard, who is the uh, president and CEO of the Children's Museum, was thinking, how can we get more people to experience the play patio? How can we let people know it's here? And it just seemed like a natural synergy that the concerts are right there. We already partner with them for the children's shows that we, we actually haven't talked about yet, but we have the children's series on Tuesdays. And we met with Jane to talk about how is that working for you, because a lot of her folks will leave the museum, attend the children's show, and then, you know, go back to the museum or or go on about their day. So she came up with the idea and approached us. We thought it was terrific. It's just another nice feature uh, you can enjoy, I said, from a a lovely uh, high top table, sipping on your glass of wine or or whatever it might be. And you have a perfect view onto the, the stage. So it just 
just seemed like a natural partnership. I think it'll be a, a not just natural partnership, but a natural extension. You know, I think it's, it's great to see the arts festival grow. I remember mm-hmm. going when it was at the courtyard by the mills across from First Street. And then there was a lot of grumbling when it moved to the, the current location. And I think like two minutes into the first performance, people were like, whoa, we can actually spread out and enjoy it a little bit more. And the trees mm-hmm. provide a little bit more atmosphere. It's much right. more... Uh, outdoor festival feel to it, then it's Friday night and I got to figure out where I'm going to park and how to get here, which is the courtyard was. It was nice. and I'm not deriding it, but it's always great to see evolution. And this sounds like one more more way for that evolution. I know when I had uh, a son, well, I have a son, not that he's, I don't have him, uh, but when he was younger, 10 years ago or so, it was great to have the playground Right. right there because right. then you could say, I want to hear the music. You don't want to hear the music. Fine. Go find some friends and play. Right, exactly. And and I think that uh, you've seen a lot of that growth at the Arts Festival. One of the things I wanted to tie into, you've mentioned the Headliner Series, but that's not the whole Arts Festival, right? Right. So um, every single Tuesday, for six Tuesdays, we're going to have a children's show, and those go from noon to one o'clock. They will start July 12th with a crowd favorite, Wildlife Encounters. They bring different animals that the kids um, are free to check out, maybe some animals that they've never seen before. The following Tuesday, July 19th, we're going to have Rock and Ron, the friendly pirate who produces a series of children's books and makes music to go along with those books. The next week, we're going to have Wayne from Maine on July 26th, and he actually does children's books as well and does songs on the guitar to them. August 2nd, we're going to have UNH Theater, who is doing a show, um, Commotion in the Ocean, where they're going to teach kids about different ocean animals. August 9th, we're going to have juggler Bryson Lang, and he's going to teach the kids how to juggle. And our last show, August 16th, we're going to have um, a Cochico Arts Festival committee member, magician BJ Hickman, who has actually done every single children's show um, for the Cochico Arts Festival. 36 years. <laughs> that, that's amazing. It's great to hear, again, some recurring names, BJ, Wayne from Maine, I'm sure have uh, been multiple year, as you said, 36 for for BJ. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it also sounds like there's some new folks in that, some some variety there too. Well, I'm excited about the UNH Theater uh, because one of the things I've been really uh, focused on is making sure that the Kachiko Arts Festival is a true arts festival, not just a music festival. So we've made sure that the children's series incorporates something called Arts Rocks, where we have local artists come and show the kids, demonstrate their their art. Those would be visual artists as well as performing artists. The children's series exposes them to theater. It exposes them to magic, uh, juggling, all different types of, of arts. Hope, maybe you could talk a little bit too about the, the visual art showcase, because again, it's not just a music festival. We're trying to embrace all of the arts. So to have UNH theater there, it exposes the kids to theater in a, as you said, an environment that might be more conducive. If they get a little itchy or whatever, they can run around on the lawn or run down to the the playground. But it's a nice exposure to theater and it's geared towards children. Um, So if they do or, you know, get a little antsy or whatever, it's okay. (laughs) Yeah. So as Margaret was saying, we try to incorporate all aspects of the arts into the Cochico Arts Festival. And one of the ways we do that is through our annual visual art showcase. So this year, that will be Saturday, August 13th from noon to four in Upper Henry Law Park. And that's for local artists to showcase their work and sell it. And that is sponsored by Atlantic Media Productions. The same night as the visual art showcase, we're going to have a movie night sponsored by Newberry Port Bank. 
The movie will start at dusk on Saturday, August 13th, and we're going to play Disney's award-winning Encanto in Lower Henry Law Park. Well, that'll be a great opportunity, too. It sounds like you're really trying to bring the arts forward. And that's one of the things I think we've really uh, moved forward on as a community is embracing the arts. Uh, the Arts Commission really has stepped forward in a role. It, it's great to hear that the Chamber is, is helping to evolve that as well. Where did that come from? Well, if I'm honest, Chris, I, I might say it's a, it's a passion of mine. I have zero artistic abilities, but um, I certainly love the arts and support that. And through my work at the state of New Hampshire, the former Commissioner of Cultural Resources, uh, Van McLeod, was just such a powerful presence in, in the state and just such a huge supporter of the arts, all types of arts. And I always hear his his voice in, in my head, uh, you know, when we're doing this, he he feels firmly that, um, you know, if you invite a performer to perform, that's their livelihood. You, you pay them. And I do have to stress that all of our performers, even the art rocks uh, folks who come for an hour to demonstrate the art, are paid for their time. The acoustic performers at the farmer's market, you wouldn't invite a plumber to your house and say, you know, just do this for, I'll give you exposure. Uh, Commissioner McLeod used to say, well, you can die from exposure. So we feel firmly that they're a part of the community. The creative economy is, is a real thing. And under your leadership, Chris, the city is undertaking that whole, uh, the, the survey, the, the cultural survey. Uh, what we find, as you said at the beginning of this conversation, people might be coming for a free concert, but they, they're going to be shopping in the downtown stores. They're going to be eating at establishments. The arts feeds into that. Um, you know, the art might be the anchor. You might be going to a show at the Strand, but you're going to eat at a local restaurant or, or do some shopping ahead of time. So, so the arts are a vital part of the community. Even if you're not a fan of the arts, you, you take that in subconsciously. You walk by a art installation, the beautiful pieces that we've we've done downtown, or, or you hear the music, and whether you're actively listening or, or viewing it or not, subconsciously, it just, it feeds you. It, it truly does. So I have a lot of admiration for what the city is doing, and we're very happy to partner with the Dover Arts Commission in a variety of, of ways the arts beat. Um, we're part of that. We're going to have an art installation at the chamber. We have the uh, windows were painted. People, if you walk downtown, you see all the windows painted with the, the beautiful flowers. We've participated in that as well. So we think it's a very important part of the community and we want to do whatever we can to support it. The Kachiko Arts Festival has a history. It's part of the fiber of the community. But as you said, there's there's no reason it can't grow and expand and add new aspects of it. Well, there's this, uh, I think, a prevailing idea that if you're stagnant, you're dead. And if you're dead, that's not good. So <laughs> you need to continue to evolve, continue to grow and continue to live. And I think that's one of the things that I find most interesting about the chamber, particularly since being welcomed onto the board last year, is I think people think the chamber is a business networking group. Mm -hmm. And that's all it really is. But the reality is it's, it's a community development organization. And mm -hmm. the idea of the more people that value your community, the more people are going to want to do business in your community and take advantage of your member businesses. And it's really been interesting to me as a board member sort of crossing over that boundary to see that, it, that there is so much that goes into the arts festival, so much that goes into Apple Harvest Day. I think people might have this perception that they show up the first Friday of, of July. July 
and that you've probably been working on this for a week and a half. And in reality, you start in what, February? February. I think I actually, this was one of the first events I started working on. um, And I started at the chamber on February 8th. So it's been a long time in the making, but I couldn't be happier that we get to put this on for the community. And and it truly is for the community. And and we'd be remiss if, if we didn't talk about the people who support it. The chamber, we put in, you know, a lot of the legwork along with our fabulous committee. We've got an incredibly supportive committee. They, they worked very hard this year. But the reason this is free and open to the public is because of the generosity of the community, the business community. Right. We have a lot of sponsors. Uh, Orpheum Apartments and Cowork is the underwriter of the entire festival this year. The Rotary Club of Dover, as we all know, does so much in this community. They sponsor the entire Friday Night Headliner series. Uh, Wentworth Douglas is, they sponsor the Buttons and the Children's series. Um, we mentioned a few of the banks. There's The list goes on and on. And I do hope people will um, take a look at those sponsors on our website. There's so many, we can't go into it now, but we do have them all listed on our website. And without their support, uh, we couldn't do this because as I stressed, we don't expect these performers to come and play for free. We pay them. That money has to come from somewhere. So it's the generosity of this community. Switching gears a little, the chamber does so much more in general, too. The state of the city, the state of the state, uh, the economic forecast, but there's also the housing forecast and things of that nature. What are some of the highlights that you see coming up in the year ahead of those sorts of events that people might be uh, not aware of? could take advantage of as well. Well, one thing I'd like to stress is our local expert series. And, you know, you talked about what our chamber does. We do a lot of community events. I I would say that uh, chambers of commerce throughout the state and throughout the country have different personalities, and it kind of depends on where you are. If you compare, say, the Manchester or the Salem or the Nashua Chamber of Commerce, they may be more business-focused. Then you look at, say, a Hampton or a Portsmouth or or a Lakes region, they're more tourism-focused. And our chamber, I think we're very community-focused. The business community, as well as those who live and, and visit here. So we do a lot of these different types of forums to appeal to a lot of different audiences. We have our morning mixers. We have our business after hours for the networking. As you mentioned, we do the state of the city, the state of the state, the economic forecast, the housing summit, so that people can come and learn about a lot of the issues affecting our businesses. But one really neat thing that came out of COVID was our local expert series. It used to be uh, professional development. Uh, we used to bring marketing professionals in, how to grow your business, business coaches, that type of thing. Well, people were a little zoomed out, as we know, during during COVID and things were kind of blah. So one of our staff members, uh, Melissa Launder, our business programs and membership manager, really flipped it on its head and made it a fun thing. She she calls them field trips for grownups. And what we have done is taken people, whether they be members or community members, into local businesses to learn how they work. During the height of COVID, we did a lot of it by Zoom. Uh, Chef Mike, a local personal chef taught everybody how to make pasta by scratch and sauce. Uh, Sweet Meadows florist taught us all how to do floral arrangement. And at the end of it, we all ended up with a beautiful arrangement for Easter. But then as things started to open up, we went in person. We went to Sassy Biscuit and everybody made biscuits. You went home with a dozen fresh, hot biscuits. And the sky's the limit. Susan Hannah just taught everybody. We did a paint night uh, at the chamber. So that's been a fun thing to come out. And it's not just drawing chamber members, it's drawing community members which is a lot of fun. So I think that's a good point is a lot of people I've talked to have said, oh, the chamber is a membership only group, which certainly member growth is an important thing. But what you just said was membership on the business side or the community side. So it's it really the arts festival and Apple Harvest Day aren't the only things available to just general community members. 
Right. And we all also operate a visitor center. If you come into the Dover Chamber, you will find all kinds of materials um, about the community. We get a lot of folks who are relocating to the area. We're not a big tourism destination, um, but many of the folks who come, people will come on the Amtrak down Easter for the day and walk into the chamber and say, I just got off the train. What is there to do around here? So we give them our fabulous guidebook and talk about all the restaurants and the shops and the museums. You can go to the Woodman, you can go to the Children's Museum. So we talk to visitors about that, but a lot of people are relocating and they want to know what services are available. So they come into the chamber for that. We also get into, you never know what's going to walk through our door, I will say. And one of the things we've started that has brought more people into the chamber than ever before is we are collecting plastic bags on behalf of the Lions Club and uh, they are sent off to treks and they're made into benches uh, that will be put around the city. And so many people are so happy we're doing this. We we are just the collection point, but um, it brings so many people into the chamber and they come in and they look around and they say, oh, I've never been here before. Farmer's Market is another one. Uh, we don't run the farmer's markets. Uh, Seacoast Eat local runs the farmer's market. We give them the real estate, but it's a great partnership. We incorporate the Kachiko Arts Festival into that by bringing acoustic acts to perform on those Wednesdays during farmer's market. And it runs, I think, this year from 2 o'clock to 6 or 2.30 to 6. 2.30 to 6. And the market always starts off a little low. There's not a lot growing right now. So we have people there with flowers. There was a mushroom guy there last Bread. week. Bread. Um, and these are these are people who come just to to sell their market to the community. We're giving them the real estate. They just come in and set up in our parking lot. But community members then come to the chamber. They experience the farmer's market. They might come in. And then again, they look around and say, oh, I've never been here before. And then they start picking up our member brochures. So it's it's a great relationship. That's really interesting to hear. And, and I think that it's good to continue to spread the word that the chamber is more than the Arts Festival and uh, Apple Harvest Day or more than a, a business networking. Mm-hmm. Uh, it truly, as I said at the onset, I think you're a vast part of our community development operations here. And uh, you talked earlier about quality of life and certainly the chamber is a big part of, of why we have such high quality of life here in the community. And I uh, appreciate you both coming in today and, and the great work you're doing to help the chamber move forward. Is there anything that you want to end on that uh, listeners should hear or know other than reminding them that July 8th is the kickoff? Well, it is a summer long festival, so I would encourage people to stick with us. Um, if, it, if it rains, the show must go on. We actually move our Friday night concerts to Dover High School. So if it does rain, watch our Facebook page or or the social media and uh, come out anyway. Stick with us all summer long. We have a lot of offerings. And then don't forget us in the fall when it's time for Apple Harvest Day. Which you're probably looking for volunteers now to help plan for Apple Harvest Day. Absolutely. Yes. Save the date, October 1st. Yeah. <laughs> Give us a call. Pop into the chamber. We can always use help. It, that actually takes about 100 volunteers. So we're, we're not joking about yeah. that. We really do need help. <laughs> well, I appreciate you coming in today. Thanks and have a great day. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. This has been great. Hope to be back again. Certainly. Wait, you haven't left yet, right? We just had a great conversation with the Chamber about the Kachiko Arts Festival, which starts July 8th, all the activities and upcoming events that they're going to host over the summer. Also happening this summer are some changes to the library. Denise LaFrance is going to come back and give us an update on the fine schedule changes, programming, and other activities that the library has in store for us. Hey, Denise, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Chris? I am doing peachy. So we chatted last time about the exterior work that's underway now and the future renovations on the inside. Yes, we did. Um, And I had mentioned at one point that uh, 
about 30 years ago, I worked at the library and had a conversation at that time with Don Mullen, who was the director about the um, changes that he'd seen. And one of those changes was that you used to uh, request a book and then the staff would go into the stacks and get the book for you. Absolutely. And I'm curious, you've been to the library a much longer time than I ever was. You've got to have seen similar changes, maybe not as dramatic, but similar. Absolutely. In other ways, what do you see as changes? Well, changes in the past. I mean, we've gone through the obvious from going, you know, to VHS to DVDs. And now DVDs are waning a bit as our digital um, offerings are still going up. Uh, we had cassette tapes when I was first there. And now, we, you know, we have music CDs and we have audiobook on CDs. And now those are waning because... Apparently, new cars do not have CD players anymore. So people are looking for to download things onto their phone to listen to. So that's a big change. But also one of the I, I talked a bit last time about the library as a community space. Yeah. So that has been still one of the biggest changes I've seen. And people want more programming from us and for all ages. So they want to come and do interactive movies they want to come and they want a lot of children's programming. And what's interesting is they want it at a younger age. So when I first started, the story times were very traditional. You started at two or three, but now we have Lapsit for babies. Really? Yes, which, wow. are, which is our most popular story time. And we can get up to 50 people coming to those. That's really popular. Is that 50 adult and 50 child? Or it's, it's all 25? together because it's yeah. families okay. together. So okay. they're all there. So there's music and movement. So it's a whole um, different type of story time. Yeah. For that age group, but it's extremely popular. We have brought in the thousands of books before kindergarten program because people are just really interested in making sure their kids are ready to go to school. Mm -hmm. So that's a change that's been since I've been there. The Family Place Library, which we became probably maybe five years ago, um, really looks at educating parents as well as kids. Um, so we bring in speakers that in a very sort of um, laid back atmosphere where the kids are all playing with toys and there might be um, an expert on something. Maybe it's a nutritionist walking around and talking to parents and answering questions. So it's just a lot of um, knowledge for every for the whole family. So it's not just about the kids. So that's that's new. And, you know, and it's also new that they're looking to libraries for that kind of programming. We also do a lot of STEM programming, which I would say 10 years ago, nobody <laughs> probably knew what STEM was. And um, now you hear about it all the time. So we do we do that kind of program because people want it. Um, we have extended our summer reading programs. We do it for all ages. We do it for babies all the way to, you know, adults. So, um, and so, people, so you do an adult reading program? Absolutely. Yeah. That we started maybe three or four years ago, I think, and has been really popular because we had people saying to us, hey, why do kids get all the fun? Yeah. I want to do it too. So. So it's just like the kids ones, it's theme based. So it's a little different in that the kids programs have stickers and all these yeah. sort of incentives to, to get you to read. But the incentives for the adults are there are prizes at the end. So you may get, win a gift certificate to a local restaurant or some Dover dollars or, you know, something to get you out in the community doing that's, that's so. Great. Yeah. And people love it. Just yeah. reinforcing that the library is part of the community and a community space. Exactly. Exactly. And now, the other change that I've seen that I, I just... Yeah. kind of thought of this. We also go out into the community a lot more. So it's yeah. not just about being in our building. So we have a bookmobile? 
Not yet, but that, we thought about the book bike, but oh. <laughs> no, we don't have that yet. But we go out to Head Start and we go out to the schools to talk, you know, to classes about various things. We go into the elementary schools when they have special days, like, you know, international days. We go to the Children's Museum when they have their Maker Fair. So we, we like to get out into the community. You mentioned kids uh, a bunch so far, which is yes. great. I assume then you're integrated uh, to some extent with the schools and yes. with their libraries. We, walk, we work very closely with the schools. Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's. It, I mean, we do get out into the community for adults, too. So. Now, one of the innovations that I liked, I know I was always poo-pooed, my wife specifically poo-pooed <laughs> that I liked it, uh, was the uh, self-checkout. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I remember Kathy Bowden telling me that like two people used it, me and one other person. <laughs> is that still a thing? <laughs> it kind of is still true. I think that a lot of people that come into the library don't just come to check out a book. They want to talk to us. They want to talk about what they're reading. They want to suggest things that we should read. And um, they just want to see what's going on. So, so it's, it, it, just you. Yeah. I guess you don't want to talk to us, Chris. But that's okay. It's okay. It's not that I don't want to talk to people. I tend to be more a little, a little more focused and right what, you're in a hurry and i tend to put stuff on hold and then come and grab it and go uh, but the thing that i i will say about going into the library that i enjoy is like the staff picks and the, yeah. the reader advisory type stuff i think that's really cool that you're it's both um reaching out but it's also letting people do it at their own pace and so right. you can grab it and go or you can grab it and say to the librarian why did you put this on here and have that conversation? So yes. it's a cool tool in that regard. Yeah. And we also have something that we started during COVID was handpicked books because we had the curbside. But a lot of people rely on coming in, going into our browser room, which houses our, our newer books, mm -hmm. and looking around and seeing what's new. So when they didn't have that or didn't want to take that opportunity to come in because they were uncomfortable. We had a form online and we still have it is um, and you can just tell us, like, answer a couple of questions. What did you read last that you loved or what author do you loved? What, you know, place setting do you like? Answer some questions and we will pick books for you and put them on curbside and put them outside. One of the things that I find interesting about the library from a technology standpoint is and I'll say, you know, this, but and anyone that's read my newsletter knows I read pretty consistently. I'm about three books a week mm -hmm. reader. And so I like both learning new things. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I do a challenge every year. So like last year, my challenge was I couldn't read anything that wasn't in the browse room. Like I, it had to have been released from October, 2020 through December of 2021. That's so you didn't ask us to take old books and put them in the browser room. For you, no, so you no, no, okay. no, no, no. The, okay. the, the copyright date had to be there. <laughs> okay. Um, and then uh, 2020, I did presidential biographies. I went read one so for each. So that. like sort of those sort of things. So I like those like listopias and those yeah. things like that. Um, and I'm curious from a technology standpoint, do you find that those tend to drive readers to the tried and true? You know, when you see the top 10 books about X, do you find that people stop trying to explore other things or do you think that it's it just reinforces by bringing you to the shelves all to begin with yeah no i don't think it limits people but i mean yeah i, I mean there's some people that are only going to look at the new york times bestsellers and want to read, read off yeah. that and that's fine then you get 
you know, there's so many sort of celebrity kind of um, recommendations now, the Oprah picks and the Reese Witherspoon picks. And so some people, you know, that's what they follow and that's fine. But um, a lot of times people will find somebody in the library that they identify with. You know, maybe I read similar things to a patron and they will seek you out and be like, okay, I need some recommendations, which is kind of cool, right? To have that relationship with somebody in the community, which I think universally everybody in the library loves to do readers advisor and talk yeah. about what they're reading. Right. You, in my mind, you shouldn't work in that profession right. if you don't want to share what you're doing. <laughs> um, but to that point, it seems like you're seeing continued change in the, in the type of reader you see and the type of staff you're, you're hiring. Yep. Um, it, it's, it's pretty interesting that, as you say, the library is a community space. It really seems to reflect the diversity of our community in general. Right. And I feel like we've been getting some, you know, our newer hires are younger, so they are reading different things than I'm reading. Graphic novels, which did not exist. Yeah. I don't know how long, you know, 20 years ago. But now we have a huge collection for all ages um, and they are so popular. But I don't like to read them. They're, they're, I wasn't a comic book kid and I didn't read that. But it's fine because there's somebody else in the library that's that love, you know, you're going to find somebody in the library that identifies with that, that you can talk about them with. So it's kind of neat to have that diversity of reading, too. I meant to ask this a couple of minutes ago. CDs are being phased out. The uh, digital music is on the rise. Yes. I think it was last year. Vinyl album sales eclipse CD album sales. Right. Have anyone has anyone come in and asked for a vinyl collection? Nope. Interesting. Yeah, no. And you know, what's interesting is, is we get some donations of some, you know, then and again, and we put them for sale in our um, book sale, the Friends of the Library book sale, and they never sell. Really? So I don't know if it's the particular ones that are in there or they weren't in pristine condition. I don't know. So the other thing that's coming up is you're refreshing the library website. Yes. Yes, we are. Um, we wrote a grant um, through the state library, uh, and that is ARPA funding. And we are getting a completely new website. It's so exciting because ours um, was over 10 years old and just didn't wasn't as mobile friendly and um, so ADA compliant. So this website is going to have all that, and it's just got a fresh new look. Personally, I think it looks great. So the other thing is, in in a lot of ways, even bigger, yeah. right? I mean, it's it's even more astounding. You want to reveal what that is? We will be going fine free as of July first. Uh, we the entire staff is thrilled about this. We have never liked charging fines. It feels very punitive to us. But the main problem for us that when we are charging fines is the equity of access is 25 cents uh, you know a, a book per day doesn't sound like a lot but it can add up to a whole lot when you have a family of four checking out 40 things which happens all the time and you forget about them you know for a week and maybe you have 30 40 50 dollars in fines which it's prohibitive so um, we're just excited not to have to have those conversations with people about what they owe we want to talk to people about what they're reading or what programs we have coming up or all the positive things that are happening in the library so it's happening around the country fine free and we were one of the only ones in our um, immediate area that were still charging fines so we are very happy to join the ranks of fine free libraries what I find fascinating about it is you, you bra- brought this up at your budget presentation. Yes. 
And it really seemed like the questions you got about it, which were pretty minimal in a lot of ways, they were. were much more focused on does it affect operations and how does it work? It was not, everyone seemed to get the, the equitable issue. Mm-hmm. And I think it says a lot about the progressive nature of the community that in some regards, it was almost like we still charge fines. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, did you find that too? Right. And, I, and when I kind of mentioned how much our fines were and how much they can, you know, add up, it was like, oh, yeah, people just didn't realize that. Yeah. And studies have found all the libraries, that, you know, the New York Public Library, the Boston Public Library, when they went fine free, they didn't have a problem getting their books back. That just didn't materialize. That's great. Yeah, exactly. So we are very excited. That's great. A lot of changes. <laughs> well, and it seems like that's the theme, right? Is that libraries evolve and exactly. that you are in that curve like everyone else that should be. Exactly. Yeah. We're, we're making it happen, and um, we love to to read what other libraries are doing. And if it's something we think this community wants, then we want to bring it to them. So, yes, we're very we're all about change. So how do people give you feedback? How do you learn? I know you just said you look at other libraries, but I'm guessing that uh, based on your, the interactive nature of your library and the, the patron uh, staff relationships. Is it just word of mouth or do you have a feedback program or how do you try to get that? Well, we've done several surveys. So another grant that we are involved in is um, about marketing libraries. It's, it's, we're doing it with five other libraries and we got this grant to hire a marketing firm and uh, let us know who are the people that aren't using the library and why. Is it something that we can change to, to make them um, come to the library because there's something interesting, something that they would be interested in? Or is it that we are not getting the word out about the programs we have? So um, the first phase of that was a large community survey and Dover residents answered very heavily. So we were pleased with that. So we got some really great feedback from that. Um, And now we're in the kind of the second phase of of the the project, which is the marketing firm coming to us with a plan, a marketing plan saying, hey, here's here's how you want to try to get to those non-users. Here's where you want to put up signs. Here's where what kind of social media we we want to do. So it's been really interesting because we already do a whole bunch of social media and we have a lot of people that follow us on, you know, our various platforms, but it's just been really interesting from a marketing perspective. Yeah. Yeah. So another change. There'll be more change. Yeah, That's that's really cool. Yeah. Uh, So as we wrap up, is there anything that we didn't cover that you were hoping to to get the word out about today? The other new as of, well, July 1st or thereabouts, um, we are getting another digital platform canopy. So look for that. That will be, um, they, it's movies, it's all movies, but it's a lot of indie movies. It's got a lot of, um, foreign films. So we've been asked for it. Actually, we were asked for it in the survey by name for, by several, um, community members. So we looked into that and that is in our, um, new budget coming up in July. And so that's an addition to Hoopla and other Yeah. Additional to all, you know, Overdrive and Hoopla. Yes. So that will be a new platform. Nice. Well, I appreciate you coming in and having this chat. Thanks for inviting me. Anytime. With almost 400 years of history, Dover's got a lot to tell. Up next, Mike Gillis is going to walk us through what happened this week. The first Independence Day celebrations began almost immediately after the final version of the Declaration of Independence was adopted by the Continental Congress on July 4, 1776. 
After a copy of the Declaration of Independence was published on July 6th in the Pennsylvania Evening Post, the first public readings of the Declaration were held in Philadelphia's Independence Square two days later, accompanied by the ringing of bells and band music. One year later, Congress adjourned for Independence Day to celebrate the occasion with bonfires, bells, and fireworks. Independence Day celebrations have continued on the 4th of July ever since, and for many years, Lydia Tibbetts helped make sure Dover's nod to the nation's liberty was a festive occasion. Lydia, known to Dover as Dame Tibbetts, ran a popular Silver Street Tavern, one of Dover's best-known gathering places until her death in 1833. Who was Lydia Tibbetts? In 1775, Lydia married Captain John Tibbetts Jr., a commander of the Cutter Swallow during the Revolutionary War. After Captain Tibbetts was lost at sea in 1786, Lydia converted their home at 45 Silver Street into a popular tavern, frequented by many of Dover's most notable citizens. It was here that members of Dover's Fish and Potato Club met each month to debate Dover's issues of the day. One of her regular patrons was Daniel Webster, who would often visit while presiding over the court in Dover. Shortly after the tavern opened, it earned a reputation for its Independence Day festivities, the celebrations were brimming with toasts of the Republic, which typically followed, quote, cooling punch and a good dinner. But Lydia's commitment to Independence Day often started in the morning, when she helped lead the day's festivities throughout Dover, often beginning with a procession and parade, musical bands, cannon salutes, and toasts to, quote, the glorious resurrection of the cause of truth and federalism. Lydia's Silver Street Tavern remained an active incubator of thought and debate, as well as good food and drink, until her health waned in her later years. When she died in 1833, the home changed hands several times and never served as a tavern again. Today, the home is the office of Kachiko Elder Law Associates. Although the curtain would fall on the celebrations and toasts at Dame Tibbetts Tavern, Dover would continue to celebrate Independence Day each year, including with new traditions, such as the reading of the Declaration of Independence on the steps of City Hall by some of the nation's founding fathers. That tradition, organized by the Garrison Players 20 years ago, continued this week when Kevin Collins as Thomas Jefferson, Don Bryan as John Adams, and Tom Dunnington as Ben Franklin took to the steps to address the citizens of Dover and read the Declaration of Independence. Thanks for listening to the Dover Download this week. If you like what you heard, subscribe through your favorite podcast aggregator. And if you have something you want to hear a topic on, let us know. Finally, this is just one of the many ways we share information about the city of Dover. You can subscribe to the Dover Download's email newsletter every week or other newsletters that we have by going to the City of Dover homepage, www.dover.nh.gov. Have a great week. Thank you.